Good morning. Take your Bibles. Turn with me. Matthew chapter number 7. You can see my forehead this morning. Looks like I've been bonked on the head. It is true, I was bonked on the head. I do want to set your minds at ease. Debbie didn't bonk me on the head. The sad part is I bonked myself on the head. <clears throat> Even sadder is it's the second Saturday in a row that I've done that. <clears throat> I don't know exactly what God is trying to teach me. Maybe duck faster, I don't know. Matthew chapter 7. If you feel like this morning that you've been hammered for the last few weeks uh, in the messages, I think there's a reason for that. We are in the middle of our study of the Sermon on the Mount. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, you will note that Jesus gathered his disciples around him and he began to teach them. I believe that by far most of these things are directed to those who claim to be followers of Christ. If I were to ask you this morning to name the one scripture that even those who do not claim to be Christians seem to have committed to memory, what would that scripture be? I think few teachings of the Lord are better known and more often quoted than when the Lord said, Do not judge lest ye be judged. It should also be said that likewise few statements are more misunderstood or misapplied. In fact, it is often the ones who quote this verse the most who understand it the least. For most people who quote this verse don't understand what Jesus said. They seem to think that Jesus commanded a universal acceptance of any lifestyle or any teaching. In our country, we are told loud and long that no one has the right to judge the actions of another person. They interpret, do not judge lest you be judged yourself, to mean that one cannot judge what is right and wrong in any case or any situation, and especially don't try to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. Nothing is more important seemingly in our society than being tolerant, tolerant of other viewpoints, of other religions, other lifestyles. So much so that the fear of being deemed intolerant or judgmental has taken on epidemic proportions. The Bible, however, does not teach tolerance when it comes to truth. It teaches scrutiny. In the book of Acts, the church at Berea was commended for searching the Scriptures to see if what they were being taught was truth. So we need to realize that Christian tolerance does not commit us to a relativistic perspective. Being tolerant doesn't mean that we can't criticize what's going on around us in our world. Tolerance doesn't mean or require of us to approve of what everyone believes and everyone does. It is one thing to insist that other people have the right to express their basic convictions. 
It is another thing to say that all religious viewpoints are equally true. To say that all beliefs and values deserve to be treated as if they were equal is nonsense. And it is incompatible with Christian faith and practice. Christian tolerance does not mean refusing to make judgments about what is good and what is bad. What what is good and what is true. For one thing, it really is not possible to be completely non-judgmental. Even telling someone else that they are being judgmental is really a judgmental thing to do. So the first thing that we have to deal with this morning is what is it that Jesus is calling us to do or not do when he says, judge not lest you be judged. It would perhaps be easier to say what he didn't mean. Jesus is not saying we should never pass any sort of judgment on anything. In 1 John 4, 1, we are told to test those who preach and teach to us. He says, Beloved, we do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. When Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 11, But I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or any extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. That, of course, demands that we make a judgment of some sort. As we're going to see this morning, what the Lord is speaking to us about And who he is speaking to this morning, he is speaking to those who make a habit of criticism and condemnation, who seem to think that a critical spirit is one of the spiritual gifts. The word judge that we find here this morning is not just to reach a conclusion. The Greek word krino always is, the definition is always derived at by context. It can mean many things. Often, judge means to, to condemn. And that is what it, Jesus is forbidding. I like the, the way the modern translation, the message, paraphrases these verses. It says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. The command then is not a command to be blind, but rather it is a command to be generous in our judgments. So let's look this morning at what we're told about judging and what we can glean from the Scripture about what we are to do. And there are four things I want you to note that we are to beware of in our judgment. First of all, beware of judging by appearance alone. We're told in John 7, 24, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. I read a story many years ago, and I love this story, I guess, because I'm an old biker, I don't know. The story is that uh, Duty Gannett, a school teacher 
of some 13 years, decided to travel across America and see the, tight, the sites that she had been teaching her students about. Traveling along with a truck with a camper in tow, she launched out. <clears throat> One afternoon, rounding a curve on I-5 near Sacramento in rush hour traffic, the water pump blew on her truck. She was tired, she was exasperated, she was scared, and most of all, she was alone. In spite of the traffic jam she caused, no one seemed to be interested in helping her. Leaning against the camper, she quietly prayed, Please, God, send me an angel, preferably one with mechanical experience. Within four minutes, a huge Harley Davidson drove up, ridden by an enormous man sporting long black hair, a beard, and tattooed arms. With an incredible air of confidence, he jumped off, and without even glancing at Dodie, he went to work on the truck. Within a few minutes, he'd flagged down a larger truck, attached a tow chain to the frame of the Chevy, and whisked the whole rig off of the side of the road, where he calmly continued to work on the water pump. The intimidated schoolteacher was just too dumbfounded to even talk, especially when she read the paralyzing words on the back of his leather jacket, Hell's Angels, California. As he finished the task, she finally got up the courage to say, thanks so much, and then carried on a brief conversation. Noticing her surprise at the whole ordeal, he looked her straight in the eye, and he mumbled these words, don't judge a book by the cover. You may not even know who you're talking to. And with that, he smiled, he closed the hood of the truck, and he straddled his Harley, and with a wave, he was gone as fast as he had appeared. What we discover is that given half a chance, people often crawl out of the boxes that we try to put them into. Secondly, I want you to see, beware of judging inner motivation. We sometimes criticize others unfairly. We don't know all the circumstances, nor do we know their motives. Only God, who is aware of all the facts, is able to judge people according to their motivation. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, we read these words, For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I can judge someone's actions, but I cannot judge why they do it. I can judge what someone says, but I can't judge why they say it. The third thing that I want you to know this morning is the beware of snap judgments not grounded in fact. For some reason, it is easier to jump to negative conclusions about people than it is to assume the best about them. When we do this, we ascribe to them bad intentions and evil purposes that may not even be true. We also reveal something about ourselves, for the faults we see in others are actually often a reflection of our own faults. I love the story about the cookie thief at the airport. I identify with it very much. A woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport gift shop. She bought a bag of cookies, and she found a place to just sit down. She was engrossed in her book, but 
happened to see that the man beside her, as bold as he could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag between them. She tried to ignore the situation to avoid a scene. She read, munching cookies and watching the clock, and she was amazed at this gutsy cookie thief. And as she watched him diminish her stock of cookies, she was getting more irritated by the minute, thinking, if I wasn't so nice, I'd black his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one. When only one was left, she wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half and he ate the other. She snatched it from him, thinking, Oh, brother, this guy has some nerve. He is so rude. He doesn't even show any type of gratitude. She had never been so galled, and she sighed with relief when her flight was called, and she gathered up her belongings and headed for the gate. Refusing to look back at this thieving ingrate, she boarded the plane and sat down in her seat. She sought her book, which she had almost completed, and as she reached into her bag, she gasped with surprise. There was the bag of cookies in front of her own eyes. If mine are here, she thought then the others were his, and he was trying to share. Too late to repent, too late to apologize, she realized with grief that she was the the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. Beware of snap judgments not grounded in fact. And fourth, beware of the temptation to use ourselves as a standard of measurement. Most of our judgments in regard to others are wrong, not because we judge them according to a standard, but because we are hypocritical in the application of that standard. We ignore that standard in our own life. We see this rather plainly beginning in verse number 2. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say first to your brother, let remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now understand, people, Jesus intends for the image of the plank and the speck or the moat and the beam to be a ridiculous image. I think the people who were sitting there and listening to Jesus taught, teach, laughed. I believe they found it funny. He is pointing out the all-too-human tendency to clearly see the faults of others while ignoring them in ourselves. We judge others by one standard and ourselves by another standard, being far more generous to ourselves than we are to others. Jesus was saying, make sure that the problem that you are judging is not yours. The story is told about a man who is having difficulty communicating with his wife. Every man can understand that, but this is more so. 
he concluded that she was becoming hard of hearing. That was the problem. So he decided to conduct a little test without her knowing about it, of course. One evening, he sat in a chair on the far side of the room. Her back was to him, and she could not see him. Very quietly, he whispered, Can you hear me? There was no response. Moving a little closer, he asked again, Can you hear me now? Still no reply. Quietly, he edged closer, and he whispered the same words. But still no answer. Finally, he moved right in behind her chair, and he said, Can you hear me now? And to his surprise and chagrin, she responded with irritation in her voice, For the fourth time, yes! That is a warning to us about our judging. All too often what we are so quick to judge in the other person is really a problem in our lives. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourselves, for you who judge practice the same things. The problem, of course, is the human tendency to harshly condemn in others the problem we have in our own lives. There's an Old Testament example of this found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where we read about an encounter between King David and the prophet Nathan. King David is probably at the lowest point morally in his life. Having taken Uriah's wife and committed adultery with her, he discovered that she was pregnant with his child, and when all of his schemes to cover up that relationship and pregnancy failed, he had her husband, Uriah, murdered. It is at this point that the prophet Nathan arrives on his doorstep, and he says, King, I want to ask your advice. And so Nathan told the king a story. He said, there's a poor family that has a little pet lamb. And across the street from them lived a very wealthy man who had many sheep. One day, some company came to visit the wealthy man, and he he decided to serve lamb. So the rich man went into his neighbor's field, got their pet lamb, and killed it and served it to his guest. What should be done to that man, O king? David's unconfessed sins of adultery and murder only seemed to make him more critical. He exploded with anger and he said, That dirty, rotten scoundrel, he should die. He must pay back four times what he has taken. And so Nathan said to him, You are the man. God gave you everything you could have desired, and yet you were not satisfied. And you went and stole another man's wife and took his life. We must be careful. We aren't condemning others because of some suppressed guilt of unconfessed sin in our lives. It is so much easier to see 
the faults of others than it is to see our own. And sometimes some of the most unchristian conduct can be cloaked in concern for what we suspect may be going on in someone else's life. A New Testament example would be Judas. When he condemned Mary for her extravagant display of affection in John chapter 2, after she had anointed Jesus' feet with fragrant oil, Judas said in John chapter 12 and verses 5 and 6, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And, the money, and he had the money box, and he used to take was put, what was put into it. Judas's condemnation of Mary was prompted by his own guilt for the misuse of funds that were entrusted to him by the Lord. Human nature is, of all things, very predictable. When we have a problem in our lives, we begin to see it in others, what is true in our own lives. If we find ourselves tempted to judge another person on any failure in their life, we should immediately look to see if it's a signal to examine our own lives for a similar failure. According to the teachings of some of the rabbis in Jesus' time, God had two measures that he used to judge people. One was the measure of justice, and the other was the measure of mercy. Which would you rather have God measure you with? Then use that measure on others. Whenever we as Christians warn against or condemn our society for its loss of moral moorings, it's not uncommon, uncommon to hear someone quote Matthew 7, 1. To counter what they see in us as a judgmental attitude, But we have seen, I hope, in this text this morning that that really is a twisting of what Jesus actually meant. Clearly, Jesus was not forbidding making moral evaluations. For Christians to be salt and light, as he has said in this message, it is essential to make sound moral judgments. But we must do with a humble, loving attitude. The point is that believers are not to manifest a judgmental, critical, fault-finding attitude, always being negative, always carping about things, always aware of every minor problem in the lives of others while oblivious to the faults in our own. We will be fair in our judgments if we will beware of judging by appearance alone, beware of judging inner motivation, Beware of snap judgments not grounded in fact, and beware of the temptation to use ourselves as the standard of judgment. Let me close with this illustration this morning. In another state, there was a young woman who visited a small church where she felt the tug of God at her heart. That night she accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior. This young woman had a very rough past. 
which included drugs, alcohol, and prostitution. But God claimed her and cleaned her up and made her one of his children. She left her old lifestyle, and as time went on, she became a faithful member of that little church. She became involved in the ministry of teaching children. The pastor's son, who was single, also taught children, and she soon caught his eye. The relationship grew. They fell in love and started to make wedding plans, and that's when the trouble began. Some of the church vultures started to circle and spread gossip about her past, and they offered their opinion that she was not a suitable candidate to marry the pastor's son. The little church was soon rocked by division and argument over this matter. So they decided to have a meeting to discuss the issue. And as the meeting progressed, people began to talk about the young woman's sordid past. And soon the meeting got out of hand. The young woman began to become very upset, and she began to cry. Finally, the pastor's son stood to speak, and everyone got very quiet. He said, My fiancé's past isn't on trial here tonight. What you're actually questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to wash away sins. You have put the blood of Jesus Christ on trial. Does it wash away all sin or not? When the church members heard that, thought about that, they began to weep and repent as they realized that they had been slandering the blood of Christ. As Christians, how can we be critical of other brothers and sisters who have a past worse than ours? If the blood of Jesus Christ cannot cleanse them completely, then it cannot cleanse me. But the blood of Jesus Christ does cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as the song says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you bring to our attention the fact that we are to be generous in our judgments. Not that there are not things that we don't have to make decisions about and pass judgment about, even about whether something is right or wrong, but that we are to be generous in our judgments, that we are to be loving in the way we apply those truths. And we need to make sure that what we're looking at and criticizing in others is not true in our own lives as well. Help us, Lord, to stay away from the temptation to be hypocritical in our application of the truth. Father, apply what we've heard this morning in our hearts and lives. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light in this world in which you placed us, not forbidding us to make judgments, but making judgment rightly, making judgments in a loving and Christian way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're